So you talked about how when you were first trying to get published that it took a long time. Yes. What was it? What was that experience like when you first found out you sold this book and that that it's going to happen after all that time? It was a good. Uh, it was right after 9-11. I'd been laid off from Sesame Street. My television show was canceled and our investor had stolen all of our savings. I had a new baby, I had a mortgage, and that was the only good news that I got in six months. So that felt good. Da -da 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 -da. <laughs> Welcome to The Yarn, a School Library Journal production. I'm Travis Yonker. That voice you just heard was Mo Willems. His career in children's literature began with that much-needed bit of good news. We know where things went from there. From the pigeon, to Knuffle Bunny, and then to the focus of our show today, Elephant and Piggy. The final installment in that beloved series arrived in the summer of 2016. How did the series begin? Why end it? And what are Elephant and Piggy's retirement plans? In answering those questions, we hit on a lot of topics. How improv comedy can make you a better writer, the merits of the book Go Dog Go, and why creative terror can be a good thing. On to the show. I was just talking to someone who had just sold their first picture book, and she said that the way that she learned to write was by not taking a writing class, but by taking an improv class. Oh, that's very interesting. For the last two years. Right. And I, and I know that you have a little bit of background in that. Yeah, I started out in sketch and improv, and I had an improv group in college. I had a sketch group in college that eventually split up, and half of, uh, half of it became The State, which is a sketch comedy group. Uh, and I do have a performance background. I think what's interesting about being an author, it's really unfair they, to be an author, you need to be an introvert, pretty much. You need to be willing to be alone in a room, banging your head against the wall for many, many years. And then as soon as you're published, you're expected to jump up in front of a whole bunch of people and jump up and down and speak in public. A completely antithetical uh, skill sets. And I'm very, very happy to have started in improv. I mean, one of the great things about improv is, of course, the rule of yes and. Whatever happens, you accept it and build on it. And I think that's useful for a first draft. I think after that you need to really chip away and chip away and chip away. Um, if you perform comedy enough, you will never learn what is funny, but your muscles will get strong enough that you will learn what is not funny. And so the key to writing is to write and then take away all the not funny stuff and that hope that what remains is funny. I started doing stand-up in high school, and I was studying writing in comic strips, obviously, for many, many years before that. When I went to, uh, when I became a writer at Sesame Street, they had seen some of my sketch work. We would do one, every season a week-long seminar on child development. You know, so that's sort of where I learned how to write for children. My head writer at the time was a great structuralist. I've always been a structuralist. I've taken a couple seminars. Um, but I am I'm much more of a formalist in the way that I write and construct my stories than 
other people. And that comes from having been in television. You know, I was in television for many years, and I wrote, you know, in cable, you had to write 11 minutes every Tuesday. So you have to understand structure in order to get that stuff out on time. But ideas are things that are grown. They're not things that you have. And as you grow them, if you have structure, then it allows you to create a trellis that at least can allow that idea, that plant, to grow in a way that fits a format. And that format may be a book. It may be television. It may be theater. Whatever that is. Well, Elephant was there first. Elephant was definitely around. You know, we uh, draw on our dining room table every evening. Uh, we sketch, and I've been sketching elephants for a long time and got a sense of the character. And, you know, he is a misanthrope, and he sort of sees the glasses half full of poison, uh, and very much how I am and was, particularly at the time. And then I really wanted to do early readers because I had been told how much more difficult they were. I love that sort of challenge. You know, you're... you're Zeus did 250 words. I was like, I'm going to do 50, 50 distinct words. Let's see what I can get. And then I kind of held an open casting call. I did a lot of, I had a muskrat. I had a squirrel with a helmet. I can't even remember all the characters that came through. Little bird that could be elephant's buddy. And then when Piggy came, she was just a great foil, and they worked together very well. That that allowed me to, to let them launch. But I... I developed them like you would television. I knew that they would have to do things that I didn't know that they were going to have to do. I knew I was going to be able to write a lot of books. So I tried to keep them as open as possible, but also have them as developed as possible that they could grow. There were gags about his glasses or gags about his trunk that I never thought beforehand that I would use. But because I, I knew him, it allowed me to do that. I think the first book came out in... Oh, seven. So I started oh five thinking about this oh five oh six. Um, I had only been published for two years, so I didn't know what I was doing, which was great. Uh, I wanted to do this. I was I wasn't discouraged, but the publishing house said, "Well, you know, early readers don't really sell. Do you have to?" And I said, "No, no, I have to." I, I felt that this was going to be my life's work, and so they were very supportive. Like, okay, we'll we'll figure out how to get this into the hands of kids. I don't know. It's always held a special place in my heart. These books I knew uh, would be my life's work. Go Dog Go is, to me, the best early reader. Uh, I love P.D. Eastman's work. P.D. and... um, Ted Geisel had worked together for many years. They knew each other. They were really, they had a great rapport. I used to work with P.D. Eastman's son as an animator, so I would hear stories about how they worked together and things. And you look at the, the vignette of the dog with the hat. Do you like my hat? No, I do not like, and they come back. Do you like my hat? No, I don't like your hat. Do you like my hat? And each time it's bigger and more extensive hat. And even as a child, I remember thinking at a certain point, the poodle would say, screw you. You know, I just got four hats. Like, what does it take to please you? What is not enough? Look at all of these hats. The least you could do is say, like, eh, that's kind of a nice hat. Um, And part of it is the time that they were working, and part of it is the social structure. You know, dads didn't talk to their kids as much or whatnot. But these characters had no emotional life. So I realized I could 
make a series of books that is about her emotional life, that every elephant and piggy book is, do you like my hat? No, I don't like your hat. Screw you. Oh, no, I've lost my friendship. I got to recover it. And that was sort of my guiding principle in the beginning. And then as it expanded, I realized that every book was a philosophical question that I didn't know the answer to. Um, why, why share? When share? What does it mean to be a friend? What happens when a new partner comes in? And as long as I didn't know the answer, then my audience probably didn't know the answer, and then it was worth writing about. So I've heard you say that easy and simple are opposites. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about that? Easy goes quickly, simple takes time. And how do you feel like, do you feel like that kind of plays a role in all of your books? Absolutely, absolutely. I'm a minimalist. I believe the less that I put in, the more that the audience has to put in. Therefore, they have meaning. They have co-written the book with me. Uh, I really am trying to design my characters to be one step away from abstractions. I mean, they're really gossamer thin. And the stories as well. You know, I say, like, if you read one of my manuscripts and it makes sense, it has too many words. And if you look at my drawings and not the words and it makes sense, it is too many drawings. Um, the weaker the structure is, the, the, the truer it is, and the more that people will come to its defense. And maybe that is a key to why they become emotionally invested in these characters. They need the reader in a, in a very deep way. After talking about the origins of Elephant and Piggy, I wanted to know how it felt when they were published. I asked Mo if he was nervous when they first came out. No, no, I don't. I, I haven't been nervous in years. There's nothing to be nervous about. There's either they'll love it or they'll hate it. It has nothing to do with me anymore. I only put in 49% of the book. If people embrace it, that's great. If they don't, I, it's beyond my control. There's nothing I can do. So there's nothing to be nervous about. Um, I, I, it took me a long time to get into publishing, and I really wanted to make books. And I realized that as a television maker, television is extraordinarily expensive. And um, therefore, you're not allowed to say crazy things because it costs so much that the creator doesn't make the money, but it's very expensive to produce. But to make a book is a lot cheaper, and so therefore you can experiment. I knew that I didn't want somebody to publish my books. I wanted somebody who was passionate about my books to publish them. And I was very, very lucky. Alessandra Balzer was the first person to say, your book is unusual, and unusual is not pejorative. And they, they gave me a lot of rope. They trusted me. Because again, if the books didn't do well, it wouldn't have, Disney would not have gone bankrupt. Um, I think that in my television career, I was younger and I was more stressed. I was more driven, perhaps. Uh, I was trying to pay rent. Uh, I had a young family. And so I was looking back at my TV years, realizing I, I wasn't having a lot of fun. So the idea that I would get a second career, a second chance, and that I could control that meant that I was going to have as much fun as possible. So I think I was more free with the types of things that I wanted to do because I just didn't care anymore. If it wasn't fun, I could just go back to writing TV. To make books is, makes no sense. It is so extraordinarily hard. It takes so much effort. There's so much business that has to happen. It's so impossible to get to the point where you get to make a book. Why would you, at that point, not make what you love? 
I mean, at that point, just become a banker or go into crime or, I mean, they're like all kinds of other more lucrative, interesting career choices if you care about the bottom line. But if you're going to really sacrifice your life and work seven days a week for 15 years, always drawing, always hustling, why would you then at the last moment not make something you cared about? Makes no sense to me. I think in the beginning, the publishing house said, oh, you know, maybe we'll do a few. And then they were like, well, maybe we'll do a few more. And then they were like, well, maybe we'll do even a few more. I mean, I'd say the beginning and the end, they both said the same thing. Do you have to? Uh, but they were very supportive of me ending it. I think it is an opportunity for me to stretch my brain. I'd rather be the Mary Tyler Moore show than Happy Days. I don't think endings are bad. I, there's a cultural thing in this country that is so afraid of endings, but endings are just parts of stories. I had the same thing when I ended Knuffle Bunny. People were, why would you end it? Because that's what happens to stories. They end. None of the Elephant and Piggy books I made I, I didn't like. I mean, there were books, there were Elephant and Piggy adventures that didn't work that I got rid of, that never were published. Um, but there was a realization that I wasn't perhaps as terrified as I should be, and I realized every time, like I'm not a young guy, every time I make an Elephant and Piggy book, I'm making the choice not to make something else. And I started wondering, what is that something else I'm not making? And part of the, for me, part of the energy is to be really scared to start a book. I mean, the amount of times my wife has heard me say, like, I, I'll never be able to write anything again. Like, I'm never going to figure this out. It's, I'm tapped. I'm done. Um, it's a terrible feeling to have. It's terrible to go through. It's incredibly depressing and ultimately necessary. That's interesting because when the book is out in the world, you're not terrified. But just to, when, when it's starting something new... Then it's the only thing I have control over. And remember, when the book is out in the world, I've finished it a year ago. It's, it's, like, it's like a child that's gone to college. You know what I mean? Like, what, like I've done what I can do. It's going to come back with a tattoo or a funny haircut. I have no control, you know? How did the idea for the Elephant and Piggy-like reading series come about? I knew they were going to retire. I was going to miss drawing them. I love early readers for all kinds of reasons. And I love I'm really getting into the, the philosophical, neurotic part of asking questions. And I thought, like, wow, I have so many great, talented, neurotic friends. Like, how would they ask the questions that matter to them, like really fundamentally matter? Um, and it's been a great joy. It's, ironically, it's a lot more work than an elephant and, making an elephant and piggy book because you've got the creator and their sensibility, and they have to learn an element of your sensibility, and there has to be a fusion of that. And there are a lot of ideas. There's a creator's idea. There's Tracy, my editor's ideas. They're mine. It, it moves in a, in a very different way. Um, but it also means that once every six, eight months, I get to draw elephant and piggy. It's like going to reunion. Does it kind of bring out your like sort of paternal instinct working with other creators on these early readers, a, a format that you've worked in so extensively, and I'm sure that you feel like you know 
kind of well at this point? I feel like I, I have a sense of rhythm, but the reason that I'm doing it is to learn and to see other people's process. I mean, it's really been super interesting. People work in remarkably different ways. Um, so that's been a joy. For me, part of the excitement is that there is no way to do it. There's no formula. It's just like what is the thing that matters to you and how can you create characters yelling about that in a funny way? Okay, so you're kind of looking more like Ted Geisel every day. <laughs> the, the beard, the glasses. Um, you know, he did something similar to what you're yeah. doing now when he became the editor of Beginner Books. Yeah, and I actually interviewed, I'm friends with Chris Cerf, who was Bennett Cerf's son, and Chris worked at Sesame Street. I took him out to dinner. Chris started with his mom when the, when the beginning readers, when uh, Ted's stuff was done. And so I did sort of ask what it was like behind the scenes and how involved he was and whatnot. I think that there's, there's a guide. I mean, I don't, but it's coincidental. I've never wanted to be like this. I hate that this generation's Dr. Zeus. I, I've always wanted to be this generation's Mo Willems. I mean, that's been my aspiration. Okay, so you said you're looking forward to being terrified. Yes. Of new projects. Yes. So can you explain that? How, what's the terror like for you? How has the terror changed over time? The terror is um, uh, perhaps a little bit more exciting than it was in the past because the stakes ultimately are a little bit lower. They're not a question of whether I'm going to pay my rent. Uh, so it is more of a creative terror. Uh, but there's also a freedom to it because I, I honestly believe, like, Elephant and Piggy are my life's work. My obit is written, so now I only am going to make the stuff I'm super, super, super passionate about. Not that I didn't before, but it, there's something freeing. You know, I'm, I don't feel that anything I'm going to do is going to have that kind of effect, so now I can just focus on techniques, stories, things that interest me. You know, right now I'm writing a rock opera. My next book, I built a village out of cardboard. I've got a book coming up that's all design, signage. And it's just weird stuff that, you know, they're all really terrible ideas. I, I, every idea I've had is a really bad idea. And if it's bad enough, if it just makes, it's so ridiculous, then it's going to work. I mean, how many, Tracy, how many times has she had to present one of my books and everyone in the room is like, I don't get it. And then we write it and it's done and like, oh, now I get it, you know. So it's like so bad it's good. It, yeah, it's just weird. It's just weird. And it's part of like I, I try as little as possible to follow what's going on in the world of children's books. I just don't. I don't, I don't want that noise because I don't want to like fall in love with an idea and then start copying. I just want to make weird stuff. Um, so what's the what's something you think um, about making books for kids that no one understands unless they do it? Oh, there's all kinds of technical issues of page turn and design and typeface. Um, I the reason children's books are great is that they are the last remaining form of I don't know if you call it entertainment content. It's a terrible word, but let's say entertainment where. The good ones are all individual. 
you know, television, there's some individual stuff, but it still fits into formats. But then you, you've got Brian Collier, you've got Laurie Keller, you've got Jackie Woodson, Jessica, all of these guys are expressing themselves. And for all of the formatting and the putting the ages and the sizes and all that stuff, it, I feel like it's a place where you really, really, really can be yourself um, and still communicate with people. And that's awesome. That's an awesome power and it's an awesome responsibility. What's the biggest misconception about you or maybe the Elephant and Piggy series? There is a desire for all authors to be geniuses, geniuses on another realm and to be totally regular guys at the same time. And the fact is, with very few exceptions, no authors are either. We're just weirdos with weird ideas. Thank you, Mo Willems, for the interview. Thank you, Dina Sherman, for making it happen. Thank you, Philip Stead, for our theme song. Additional music for this episode by the Heftone Banjo Orchestra via the Free Music Archive. You can contact us via email at theyarnpodcast at gmail.com and visit us online at the School Library Journal website. Thanks for listening.